technical errors, lack of thought, an unhelpful mindset. Any of these can derail your career prospects. You might think you're too astute to make any of these errors. Maybe, maybe not. So have a listen to the following list and do a quick audit and then either heave a sigh of relief that you've nailed these issues or get started on your workaround. I'm going to talk about not telling the truth, which is different from lying, believe it or not. I'm going to talk about power and about morality. Very serious stuff. And of course, I'll give practical career advice along the way. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st century. I'm a career practitioner who's worked with thousands of people over the past 20 years, so I've had quite a bit of time to think about career issues. Each fortnight, I pick up on an issue that takes my fancy. Some are extremely practical, such as episode 16, where I give some interesting advice on how to answer common interview questions. Other episodes tend to cover more big picture topics, such as the last episode, where I translated or tried to translate leading global marketing experts' advice across to the career sphere. In today's episode, I'm going to cover off on six mistakes that I hear very often from clients. But before we do, I'm going to steal a few minutes to talk about some changes in our services. I've never wanted to do people's resumes for them, and up until recently, we haven't. Our approach has been to sit down with the client and make them aware of how to write strong content. We've given templates for them to use and some sample content, but the client has always gone off and done their draft. And then the final stage is for us to sit together at the computer and together we tighten up the content and our client walks out with a finished resume. What we found is some people just don't want to do their own resume. They're either overwhelmed by the whole concept or they're too busy or they just don't want to. They find it quite boring. And so we've reinstated an old service I used to offer, which we're calling Resume Done For You. So if you are after a new resume or if your children, perhaps finishing university, etc., need a new resume, we're now offering this service. We still offer the old service. The advantage of the old service is it costs a lot less and it means then that you learn how to do a resume and don't have to keep coming back to us every time you want a new job. The other thing is because I'm looking to relaunch this service is I'm offering a 20% end of financial year sale on all our services. So if you ring the office or contact us and book in before the 30th of June this year, which is 2021, you'll get a 20% discount. Let's get back to the podcast. Error number one, or piece of advice number one, is never tell the whole truth in a job interview. Now, I know that sounds a bit immoral, but I want you to bear with me. There is both logic and an ethical approach to back this up. I'd argue that interviews are about the marketing truth, not the whole truth. The employer should be conducting a skilled hiring process to check whether you're the right person for the job or not. Really, they're in classic buyer beware territory. It's not your responsibility to bear your soul and reveal your deep, darkest secrets. Of course, this doesn't mean you lie. So let's look at an example. 
I often say I'm the only person in the world who admits that she's not a team player. Let's say an interviewer asks me a teamwork question and I answer with the whole truth. They say, can you give us an example of a time where you worked well in a team? And I say, I'm not really a team player and I really do prefer to forge my own pathway in life. If I said that, would I get the job? No way. Now, of course, even though I'd rather not, I can work very well in a team. And so I could easily give a compelling and truthful example where I have worked well in a team. After the interview, I'd go home and I would think one of two things. I'd think, okay, there's going to be a little bit of teamwork in this job. That's okay. I can handle it. I like the job. I'll accept the job offer. Or I'll think, wow, this job, I would be working face to face day in, day out with the same group of people. No, that's not me. I don't want to do it. And I would refuse the job offer. But notice the difference. I would be the one making the decision, not the employer. Piece of advice number two, never confuse different with better. One of my clients, Marco, told me that he was after a promotion to a senior manager's role. So we nutted out a strategy, part of which was to analyze whether his current persona was setting him up for this move. I noticed that Marco had the very common habit, which I often talk about, of saying like every four words, as in, I like went to the bank and like borrowed some money. Marco was mortified about this and he was determined to do something about it. Next session, he came back to me and he said, I worked all week on being better. And I think his analysis of the change behavior was wrong. A lot of career advice is very superficial. Our job is to notice anything that may get in the way of your job success and then be brave enough to talk to you about it. You're not a lesser person if you slump in a chair during an interview or maybe don't make enough eye contact. Don't sweat the small stuff. I describe them as minor technical errors. They're usually quite easy to fix. So yes, of course, go and see a career expert, get an assessment, but they're not the important things in life. Once you fix up these small issues, you may be a different, and I'd argue a more skilled person, but you are not a better person. Piece of advice number three, never give up hope that you can find a job you love. My young nephew has mentioned that most of his friends are unhappy at work. And one of my other clients told me that she'd jump from one job to another for years, never really knowing why, and never feeling comfortable that she was making the right career moves. I just think that's so horrible and so unnecessary most of the time. Now, I've talked about this before, so I'm only going to summarize this briefly here. I talked about it in quite a lot of detail in episode seven. The starting point to career happiness is to understand what your ideal world looks like. So we're talking here about whether you're doing activities that you're good at and that you like doing, which is much less important, by the way, than the second analysis, which is, does your workplace allow you to fulfill your career values? Now, career values are not life values. 
my number one value at work is independence, for example. That's not a life value. You need to be doing work that suits your personality. And I find often that people's personality preferences affect their career values and what it is that they're good at and they like doing. And then there's other odds and sods of, do you want to work in government or private sector? Do you want to work in a big organization, small, et cetera, et cetera? The culture of the organization, tone of the boss. So that's the ideal world. Step two is to incorporate the cold, hard reality of your current life. For most people, I find it comes down to money. I remember working with somebody who was prepared to commute to Melbourne from Adelaide because she wanted to send her kids to private school and she needed a salary at a certain level. Where you find the sweet spot is when you can narrow the gap between the ideal world and your cold, hard reality so that the gap is barely noticeable. Once you've analysed both worlds, you can plot your moves. If you do it properly, either your very next job or at worst, the one after that, lands you where you want to be and where you'll be happy. So the client I mentioned earlier, she literally cried tears of joy when her self-analysis confirmed that at last her current job ideally suited all of those elements that I mentioned beforehand. Piece of advice number four, never think you owe a prospective employer anything more than politeness. Many clients I work with tie themselves up in knots about how to behave with prospective employers. So how does this play out? My clients usually have a few job prospects on the go at any one time and they feel really bad about turning the tables on the employer. So they worry, for example, if they need to ask to reschedule a meeting or if they need to delay making a decision about accepting the offer or if they turn down the job after lots of interactions with the employer or even worse, if they change their mind about accepting the job. I can generally stop them in their tracks by asking them whether the employer ever feels obliged to offer the job to all people who apply. And of course, they clearly don't. Now, you need to note, I'm not saying it's necessarily a wise thing to reschedule a meeting or to delay a response to a job offer. What I'm saying is that it's perfectly acceptable from a politeness point of view. Now, by the way, the more power you have in the marketplace, the more likely it is that the employer will make accommodations for you. So rather than worrying about your supposed obligations, it's more useful for you to focus on improving your attractiveness to your marketplace. My fifth piece of advice is very hard to implement. So good luck with this one. Never think that your job search is over when you accept a job offer. It can take a lot of effort to change jobs and most people I work with They heave a sigh of relief, they put their head down and they just get on with life. But what happens if it becomes clear that you might not survive the probation period? In Australia, many jobs come with a six-month probation period. You can be asked to leave at any time during that period, with all the normal legislative restrictions, of course, and most employers will not hesitate to take advantage of that freedom. 
Imagine how you would feel if you had to start all over again with your job search. You would have no salary to cover the gap, you would have a huge dent to your confidence, and you would probably quite rightly worry about how to explain away the circumstances. There's nothing pleasant about that situation. Also, what happens if you don't like them? The first three months in any new job are awful and nerve-wracking. You don't know how to use the photocopier. You don't know if that person who just looked sideways at you does that to everyone or whether you've done something wrong. There's a lot of excitement in a new job, but there's also a lot of worry. It's usually at the magical three-month mark that you really understand whether or not the job and the organisation are the right fit for you. And if they're not, you need to have an exit plan. Most employees feel bad about leaving a job within 12 months. Imagine how much harder it would be to leave if you had to start your job search all over again from scratch. The danger is that you wouldn't have the intellectual and emotional energy, let alone the confidence to do this. Instead, you just are likely to stay and not be happy. Here's where a huge level of discipline comes in. For the entire first three months in your new job, keep your eye on the market. Continue or start a proper networking campaign. You don't have to make promises to anyone, but you do need to be out and about. Your marketplace needs to know that you exist and they need to think favourably of you. Of course, even better is to implement this marketing strategy throughout your career. That way, as long as you are a quality employee, you'll get regular approaches from keen suitors and you'll know then that you have true job security. This concept is called me limited, with the idea being that you behave just like a business when it comes to your behavior and your marketing and self-promotion. And I talk about this in great detail in episode nine. The final piece of advice is to never rely on feedback from your interviewer to decide how well you do at interviews. One of the questions I always ask a client when we're debriefing after they've just had an interview is, from a performance perspective, how do you think you went? And I find that most people are surprised at this concept, but it's so important. You need to develop your ability to assess your own interview performance. I want to give you a couple of quick examples. One of my friends stayed, I think, for 15 years in a job that she loved. But if she had relied on the feedback from the interviewer at her interview, she would have been devastated because the key decision maker didn't look at her until the very, very end of the interview, stuck his head up and made some glowing comment about her performance. And then on the other extreme, I find particularly in government, people are very polite. The panel who interview you could well smile, everybody could be nodding, it has no relationship to whether they will hire you or not. So how do you develop your ability to assess your own performance? I think the starting point is to film yourself. You'll notice any quirks of body language, or you should notice. And what I'd recommend is that you have prepared so well that even if you perform a little bit worse in the actual interview than you would like, 
it's still outstandingly good because of the clever work you've put in beforehand. I remember preparing for my exams when I did my last degree when I was studying accounting and law. I'm one of those people who typically do a lot worse in an exam than in real life. So what I did to practice is I forced myself to do the exam in two and a half hours instead of three hours. When I walked into the real exam, I felt quite calm and relaxed and performed much better. And I think the filming yourself is a little bit of an equivalent because most people hate looking at themselves on video. So this extra stress as you practice may help make the actual event less difficult. Okay, let's sum it up. Hopefully you passed all six of these career items. But I think you probably know enough of me by now to realize that I'm going to say that there's more to career success than can be covered in a short podcast. No matter how smart you are at work and in life, make sure that you start the next financial year with a career checkup. Access international experts for world's best practice and then go local for cultural variations, but make sure that you go. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share the podcast or leave a review. I'm doing a podcast every fortnight, and next episode I'm going to talk about 10 ways to avoid a referee disaster zone. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. And I do a mail-out once a fortnight of videos, blogs, or infographics. If you're interested, you can contact the office on admin at careerconsult.com.au or you'll find a sign-up form on the website. I'm going to finish with the hashtag, hashtag why not be happy at work. <laughs>